0: welcome once again to devotional we are on lesson number two for sunday december 23rd so we are now looking at the center certainty of christ's return and john 14 1 through 3 is that well-known promise of jesus that if i go i will come again that i may receive you to myself so that you will be with me a wonderful promise that the bible calls the blessed hope and uh, i'm going to dive right in to what i want to say for today's lesson Um, In this uh, second and the third paragraph of today's lesson, it it mentions two individuals, Enoch and David. And Enoch spoke about the second coming of Christ. You you see that in Jude 14 and 15. And King David also prophesied about the second coming of Christ in Psalms 50 verses 3 to 5. That's a long time before even the first coming of Christ. And they were already mentioning about the second coming. Uh, We just finished doing a series uh, in the church, in Monroe Church called the appearing with Sean Boonstra and we were doing some follow-up lessons and it was interesting to find that there's uh, the second coming is mentioned some 2500 times throughout the bible way many more times than even the first coming is mentioned and yes that's cool that's that's amazing but for me what's amazing is that these people could say it and speak with such confidence and conviction such a long time ago longer than you and i are at right now Uh, Paul says that the, the second coming of Christ is nearer, the fulfillment of that promise is nearer than when we first believed, meaning we are moving towards an already predetermined finality that is getting closer and closer. And um, Enoch and David spoke of these realities a long time ago, over thousands of years ago. And we've only been preaching it for 150 years, and that kind of gives things put things into perspective as far as the, the waiting period. Uh, Enoch was already looking at the second coming, uh, and yet the first coming hadn't happened and it would still be several thousand years before that would take place from the time of Enoch, the first coming. So that meant that the second coming would even be further down the road as far as history is concerned. Um, waiting is a challenge for us. Waiting is a challenge for us because of our mortality. We only have our lifetime as a reference point, and we all begin the same way with a blank slate. We all begin as one, two, three, four, five-year-olds beginning to understand how to relate to time. And as adults, we are finally able to grasp you know, what a year feels like and 10 years feels like. And you know where I'm going with this. The older you get, the shorter time seems to move. I've, I've told my churches working in long-term care that... Many of my patients would tell me, you know, they were in their 90s and they would tell me, I feel like I've just been alive for five minutes. I felt like my whole life has just flown by. I cannot believe I have uh, grandkids and great grandkids. I can't believe I've been around for 90 years. My life does not feel that it has been this long. So time, as far as how we relate to it, um, the experience of it is dynamic, but time is a real experience that is immovable. And like I said, there is a... A finality toward that we're moving towards the second coming of Christ the fulfillment fulfilling of that promise Enoch and David were able to sustain their convictions of what they were prophesying and preaching and it was a a real uh, life transforming reality for them the question is how how were they able to do this Um, I'm gonna try to put this in context because they were not the only ones in Hebrews chapter 11 Um, We're going to read in verse, starting in verse 37, all the way through verse 40. This is the concluding chapter of uh, individuals that have obtained uh, grace through faith uh, from God. And in verse 37, it says that they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. 39, and all of these, all of these individuals referenced here, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what God had promised because God had provided something better better for us. God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And Paul is simply speaking about the day of the resurrection when we've already talked about this immortal uh, puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption that perfect that better resurrection God doesn't do have all of us experience that at the same time yet all of these individuals lived centuries millennia before you and I today and yet they could look forward to that second coming and not waver even though it seemed to delay delay longer than their lifetime. I've told my churches this that this may help us live with such a conviction and thrive and not let it wane even though time seems to move on just like before. You and I will not have to wait if you're in your 40s like I'm 46. I'm not going to have to wait more than another 40-50 years before Jesus before I get to experience the second coming of Christ. And if you're in your 80s, you probably won't have to wait more than 10 to 15, maybe 20 years max before you get to experience the second coming of Christ. And if you understand what I'm trying to say, um, you understand what I'm trying to say. You will die. And the moment you and I die, we stop experiencing time. Um, Time continues, but our experience, we're no longer here. We are, as the Bible calls it, asleep. And the next thing we know which in our experience will be a fraction of a second, is as as our brain dies and our our bodies just, as we die, period, the next thing you and I will experience is all the realities we speak of by faith right now. We have no clue what that will look like. We have no idea what that will sound like. Uh, Just uh, two days ago, I was praying with my sister uh, Jane Gibbs. Her brother Joe is in hospice right now and my heart goes out my eyes uh, welled with tears as i prayed with her asking god to comfort her comfort her comfort joe and the family but at the same time praising him that this is not the last thing we get to experience with our loved ones but that we have a hope a living hope in something better the better resurrection and with all of that i began to think of what joe will experience the moment he stops breathing and he dies as far as he's concerned 2018, December 2018 is the last experience of time he will have on this sin-cursed earth. The next thing he will experience is being awakened by a voice, a voice that for centuries, for millennia, we have been yearning to hear with our own ears in a literal way. His eyes will get to see what we have been for 150 years preaching will take place. His eyes will see the glory of all the angels, these beings, the glory of Christ, the glory of the Father, and the saints being resurrected. We cannot, I mean, I've seen the paintings, you know, Nathan Green does a great job, but they're static, and they're for for many times more symbolic than anything. We don't know what that's going to look like. Because we don't know what an incorruptible body looks like, what it feels like to no longer have the need of glasses, to no longer have the cancer, to no longer have the tumors. We'll talk more in depth about all of these realities. How do we sustain our hope in that? Because many Seventh-day Adventists are starting to lose the passion about the Adventist. You know, let's spend a little bit of time with that, right? Why are we called Seventh-day Adventist? We are called Seventh-day Adventist because we are um, identifying ourselves with the two landmarks of human history. Our, the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Sabbath, points to us to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The world, this world, before sin. This world, before sin, and the curse entered. Because that's where Sabbath came in, right? And after six days of creation, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy Sanctified it, uh, set it apart for our connection with Him. That was before sin, so we are seventh day, looking back at that. Adventist, pointing forward to when that is restored. Uh, in a sense, we we are as Adventists stretching one, with one arm all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two, and with the other arm, at the other hand, we're grasping Revelation chapters twenty one and twenty two. The last two chapters of the Bible highlight. The earth restored to where what it what used to be what god had originally created it to be with us in it so seventh day adventist is a comprehensive view of the gospel of how god created a perfect world we're not there yet but we will be that's what your name the name that you've embraced the name that i've embraced that pastor of the seventh day adventist church means powerful i love it great wisdom. And God answered the prayers of our pioneers as they were trying to think of what to, how to identify ourselves and distinguish ourselves from the various other denominations. So how? How can you and I endure? Because Paul says that these individuals were not just waiting, watching television. They were waiting while being ridiculed, experiencing persecution, hardships, and danger. Danger of losing their lives. You know, I wrote that down and I realized if you and I were under those experiences it's easy to desire the second coming. When I was in El Salvador and I was in the very very poor sections letting people know that we would come to help them build their church Jesus and the second coming was real to them not simply because of what the Bible presented those the realities were definitely there but more so because they had no interest in what was down here they saw what corrupt governments do they saw what greed and exploitation can do to a society to their country and right here they just don't have no desire to stay they want to go home and it made me think about us here in America how can we sustain that without having to experience abject poverty can we David was a king he had a palace Yet he could prophesy, and in his heart there was nothing more he could desire than and long for than for the restoration of everything that sin had taken from us. You know, this promise is something that hinges upon a personal experience. Like I said, you and I do not need to become, you know, abject poor, live in the slums next to a sewer to finally say, you know, I, I wish Jesus would come again. Uh, It doesn't mean that we reject, you know, some of the blessings that God has given us. And of course, we don't make idols of them. We don't become so attached that because of those things, we don't want Jesus to come. I don't want Jesus to come until I graduate from medical school. I don't want Jesus to come until I get married. Those are all temporary things that we talked about on Sabbath afternoon. What you and I need to experience that will cause a consistent, steady, balanced desire for the second coming Is this experience found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23? Elder Chris uh, Hamstrom preached on this uh, this past Sabbath at the Oakwood Church. He says, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He he pointed out that this is the inscription that God places in our hearts, the identifying marks that we are His. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This, this experience, the fruit of the Spirit, is what makes me uncomfortable on planet Earth. I begin to recognize it, a growing separation a growing chasm between myself and society society is on a continual decay as far as expansion and depth of experiencing the very opposite you know the the, we read read this uh, previous verses in the same chapter verse 19 that the deeds of the flesh are evident Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorceries, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, etc., etc., etc. That becomes the norm more and more in our society. But inwardly, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I become incompatible with this sin-cursed world and I sense it whether I am in the suburbs or whether I am in jail whether I am in a comfortable place with a job that that provides for my family or whether I am in the slums of some part of the world so this desire for the second coming of Christ hinges upon me sensing an incompatibility with the entertainment of this world, the philosophies and the worldviews presented by the music and the, the many forms of media that is constantly seeking to bombard and invade our thoughts. Jesus, His Spirit, causes us to long for an earth in which the outward environment matches my inward environment. This world will never become that. The closer you'll become to Jesus, the more incompatible you will feel with those around you. Not that you're looking down on them, but that the tenor of the conversations, the pursuits of life, the priorities and the values, you will begin to see that there is this great divide that will only get wider and wider as time moves forward. By God's grace, you and I can experience the growing maturity of these fruits of the Spirit in our lives. David experienced that. He was not a perfect individual, but his repentance was genuine because of the Spirit dwelling in his heart. Him yielding to the voice of the Spirit and allowing these fruits to grow, to mature in him. Enoch had the same experience after he had a child he began to understand God's loving ways he had never done so before and he responded to that and God honored that how about you and I how incompatible do I feel with society and the various means by which it tries to pollute us with all the the deeds of the flesh here in America we suffer a different kind of persecution than our brothers and sisters may experience in muslims muslim countries in communist countries our our persecution in in america i believe is of a totally different nature in that we are not being oppressed by threats we are being oppressed by allurement and seduction seduction that will put your soul to sleep will numb your desire for the second coming of christ And you will feel complete and satisfied where you are today. And if Jesus comes, well, then he comes. And if he doesn't come, well, I wasn't that much on fire for it, so I will not be disappointed. Listen, when Hebrews 11 finishes with that long list and says that none of these died, all of these died without receiving the promise, they did not die disappointed. They did not die disappointed any more than this man died disappointed at the uh, that died next to Christ the day of his crucifixion when this man said to Jesus Jesus remember me when you come in your advent of your kingdom and Jesus promised him you will, will you will be with me in paradise Jesus died before that criminal, that former criminal, because he had been forgiven and cleansed. He was a righteous man now. Jesus died and he saw Jesus being pierced with that lancet by that soldier. He saw that the blood had already separated, coagulated. This was Jesus now dead, yet the promise was alive. He did not die disappointed. And those of us that embrace this experience of the fruits of the Spirit, connected through the living Word, through prayer and surrendering our wills and maturing, doing everything within our capabilities and resources to allow these things to to mature, even if we die, we will not die disappointed. This is not about having our hopes dashed if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime. It doesn't matter whether He comes or not. What matters is that I am being transformed inwardly so that I fit world that's to come. Jesus has promised us and no one that has ever placed their hopes in the promise of Jesus, no one has ever been disappointed.